We're going to be in Romans chapter 4, picking up our journey. Uh, we're going to be looking specifically at verse 17, but because of the, uh, the, the context, I want to read verse 16 as well. Would you go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word? Scripture says, Romans four sixteen. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls to those things which do not exist as though they did. May God bless the reading of his word in his house tonight. Be seated in God's house. We must understand that everything in verse 17 is going to explain the concepts that he introduced in verse 16. So we first off want to understand the whole point of verse 16, and that it is that salvation and righteousness comes by faith, so it might be according to grace. It means there's no other vehicle that salvation comes except for by faith. And because it's by faith, it's not of works, it's not of circumcision, it's not of the law, it's not of birth, it's by faith alone. And because it's by faith alone, then man can take no credit for it. So that means it's by grace, God's grace being unmerited favor. I'm going to tell you what, there's, there's this, you know, one of this popular book called Fifty Shades of Grey. And uh, I guess the women went crazy for it because um, they ain't never read Song of Solomon. I mean, if you want to talk about romance, go ahead and read Song of Solomon and, it'll, you know, it'll get you excited about, about intimacy. But this book, Fifty Shades of Grey, comes out and talks about, you know, evidently love and things like that. But let me tell you something. There's something more intimate than that, and that is Fifty Shades of Grace. And see, we can talk about grace Every night, but we may never fully comprehend it because it is so unlimited, so infinite in scope, God's grace. I pray if we could just get a glimpse of God's grace, our whole life would be transformed. Here's what he says in the beginning of verse 17. He says, as it is written, speaking of Abraham, God declared to him, I have made you a father of many Nations. Now, the good thing is if you've been with us for the past several weeks, several months, you know that when this was declared to Abraham, he was an old man who had been old for a long time. His wife was old. They had been barren uh, uh, at least 90 years old. At least 90 years old. I think the figure that sticks out to me in my background study was 99. That 99 years old, had no children, barren. No one to leave his inheritance to. Uh, uh, basically, you know, if you don't have any children to leave your inheritance to, uh, as, a, as a Hebrew, then, then your life was kind of wasted because, you know, your, your servants are going to take over everything. But God came to him and said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now, I want you to know how ridiculous that seems and how unimaginable that actually was. I don't know if we can grasp this. That would be like me going right now to John Vermillion, who's 94 at First Assembly Living Center. Say, Brother John, you're going to father many nations. John's 94. He'd probably say, what? <laughs> you're going to be the father. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That is how ridiculous it sounded 
when it was spoken to Abraham. Because Abraham was barren for so long, was an old man. But Abraham believed God. Believed God before there was ever, ever any proof that this would be true. He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It was his belief that brought him to a right standing with God before he had ever done anything. This is why the thief on the cross that acknowledged Jesus' lordship and Jesus could say today you'll be with me in a paradise because the thief never attended a church service. He never memorized a scripture, but he believed God and Jesus said today you'll be with me in paradise. It is right belief that leads to right living. It is not right living that leads to right belief. If we can get our mentality correct that as a Christian, I'm already right with God. I'm in right standing with God. I am seen as righteous. This will equip us to live properly. Amen? Man, that was good stuff. If the covenant had been passed through the law, if the covenant had been passed through flesh, if the covenant had been passed through circumcision, then Abraham would have been the father of one nation. But this is not the promise that was given to him. The promise was that you're going to be the father of many nations. Now I want you to know, secondly, another ridiculous comment. Because in Abraham's mentality, his mentality is about being God's God's people. About understanding that God wants to have a relationship with my people. And let's say, you know, Abraham is in this country with his people. And God says, I'm not just going to make you the father of your people you're going to be the father of other people. Now, doesn't this seem ridiculous? How can I be the father of a people who did not even come through my lineage? He was already pointing to the fact that this covenant would come through something other than flesh alone. You see, we had a conversation yesterday. A lady said that Israel is God's chosen people. I said, you're exactly right. Who is Israel? That's the question. Israel is everyone who believes in Jesus Christ through faith. Because we are engrafted into the covenant of Abraham and now made Israel. We are God's chosen people. Do you, do you understand that? That because Abraham is the father of many nations, and I'm going to show Abraham is the father of us, he is our father through faith, then we are engrafted into Israel. We are God's chosen. So in the Old Testament... Israel was seen as a physical place. In the New Testament, Israel is a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual place, and it's a spiritual dealing that God has with his chosen people who will be his bride forever. And I'm going to tell you, for 2,000 years, there have been Jews who have not acknowledged the Messiah that will not be God's chosen. If, and I've heard some people say this. I've heard some people say, well, the covenant was with the Jews, so these Jews are going to have righteousness because it came through covenant, yada, yada, yada. Let me tell you something. If we acknowledge that, then there's salvation through something other than Jesus' blood. And we might as well be a universalist and say the atheists are going to get there. There's one way, folks, through the blood of Christ, and faith in him is the only pathway. This is not a closed-minded thing. Praise God. <laughs> it's simply believe in God. You don't have to judge me for, for speaking the truth. Get angry with God. He's the one that said it. They just need to read the scripture. He is the father of those who are in the faith because his righteousness was credited through faith. I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's already going to be good tonight. 
He is the father of those who had faith because his righteousness came through faith. He was not the father of those who worked the law. He was not the father of those who followed the rules precisely. He was not the father of those who were good Sunday school teachers. He was the father of those that had faith. Even for the Jews, their father was not these important individuals in the biblical lineage. Let's think, for example, who even the Jews did not regard their father as. They did not regard Noah as their father, who was a powerful carpenter. I mean, Noah was like the manliest man ever. He built something for 120 years. Is that not awesome? I like Noah. This dude was probably ripped up. I mean, he was swinging a big 20-pound mallet every day for a hundred. Can you imagine his biceps? That's not the father of Israel. Nor was the father Jacob, who literally wrestled with God, who literally touched God and wrestled with them. Can you get any more personal than that? Every night after bath time, after bath time, Roman gets on the bed and me and Roman wrestle. Right now all he does is he puts his head against me like a ram and tries to push me over. See, that's a personal one-on-one contact. Do you, have you wrestled with anybody lately that was not your, your closest acquaintance? I hope not. That'd be weird. That was not their father. Their father was not Moses who brought forth not the ministry of life, but he brought forth the ministry of death. I've been reading the book of Numbers. I thought that was like, you know, you know, when I was growing up, that was like the most boring book in the Bible. I'm going to tell you what, it's like the most exciting book now. These people hate Moses. They want him dead. And I'm like cringing for Moses. I mean, you got, I, there's sometimes when, you know, there might be 200 people upset with me. He's got 2 million people upset with him. And they literally want to kill him. And he led them out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery. One of the greatest miracles of the Bible across the Red Sea. He's not their father. Their father is not Joshua, the mighty leader who ushered them into the promised land. Their father was not the warrior king, the poet David who reigned over the prosperous kingdom. Their father was not the mighty and wise King Solomon. Wouldn't you think that this, this richest, wisest man who ever lived would be the pinnacle of prosperity, the pinnacle of what Hebrews stand for? Nope. Their father was not the prophet Elijah who could call down fire of God from heaven. None of these amazing men was the father. Who was their father? A crusty old man who could not even have children. This is the honest truth. Not being offensive to anyone crusty. He was old. I mean, the Bible makes a point about this. Like beyond the point where childbearing becomes an option. And listen, he was not a mighty warrior. He wasn't a mighty king. He didn't write any scripture. He didn't write any poetry. He didn't even have any children. And God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. I want you to know that Abraham is a picture of the nothing that all of us were when God called us. The reason Abraham is the father of those in the faith is because Abraham had no intrinsic quality about him that made him desirable. If God would have called Solomon the father, it's because look what Solomon did. Look what he did. 
Look at, look at all the poetry that David wrote. Look at the miracles that Elijah called forth. What had Abraham done at the point he received the covenant? Nothing. God says, this is the picture of the faith. This is the picture of grace. Good, gracious. He is the father in the sight of God in whom he believed. He is our father. That means God sees him as our father in the sight of God whom he believed. Again, pointing to his faith as the pinnacle of his fatherhood. What defined the admiration for Abraham for generations to come was that Abraham believed God when he had nothing to go on except the power of the word. My friend, there's going to come times in your life where you have no personal hope, you have no family hope, you have no financial hope, and the only thing you're going to be left with is the word of God. And let me tell you, it's sufficient. There was no physical thing that you can trust in except for the word. And this is what he did. And righteousness was credited to him through faith. Immediately this crusty old man became a father. He became something that he was not through faith. And he didn't have any ability within himself to cause this to come forth. Except for his belief that God could. Do you know your salvation is a bigger miracle than Abraham. We think this is amazing what God did through Abraham. I need you to contemplate what God did through you. That you were dead in your trespasses. You were on your way to eternal death and wrath with nothing. No ability. Not even seeking God. As the scripture says. You know there's these churches who made their services seeker friendly. To cater to those who are looking for God. Let me tell you friend there's none. The only seeker is the Holy Spirit. Who ranges to and from the earth. Seeking. Seeking. Those who he will have a relationship with. We do not seek God. But God calls forth. And in faith we respond. To say God I can. I can be right with God. Through what Christ did. Now, here's what's amazing because it says Abraham saw Jesus' day. And I don't really understand this spiritual parallel. See, you and I can know that rightness with God comes because of the cross. You and I look past. And we've got uh, 27 books that document this. I believe the New Testament is the most historically accurate piece of historical literature in existence. There's more manuscripts of the New Testament. There's over 5,000, no, 6,000 ancient manuscripts of the New Testament from which now translators can draw from and give us what we have today. It was widely distributed, widely copied, and we can know Jesus died on the cross. You and I can look back. My question is, what did Abraham look to? To believe God. Somehow he had to look forward to know there was going to be an avenue for righteousness to be credited. And in the supernatural, I believe Abraham eventually got a picture because of the prophecies and because of the law and because Genesis 3 that said God would send a seed who would crush the serpent. I think Abraham knew this and he knew that righteousness was available and he believed God. Abraham was nothing, he was not successful. 
This is why he is the perfect picture of the father of faith by grace. There was no reason that God should choose him. There was no righteousness of his own that attracted God to him. God made the declaration before Abraham ever responded. This is amazing that God declared you would be the father before he even responded in faith. God didn't ask him, do you think I can make you a father? No, God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And what happens, my friend, whenever we respond in faith, that God already calls forth and says, you're going to be right with me. And what happens is when you see the truth of the gospel, when you see what the cross has purchased, that the cross has purchased your relationship with God, and God has called that, and you respond in faith, instantaneously righteousness happens. I had a theology professor in college who I did not like very much. He told me that salvation was a process. I understand that yes, yes, I am saved, but I'm not fully I'm not fully saved because I'm not in heaven yet. But see, this also comes from the, the strain of thinking that sanctification is a process, that I increasingly grow closer to God. My friend, that's the same as workspace righteousness. That's, number one, it's not Protestant, it's not Baptist, it's not biblical. When you respond in faith, immediately right with God. Immediately right with God. And here's what you have to know. That, that for those who trust in Christ, your actions don't push God away. Now, maybe this is true for you. Sometimes when I've been the most disobedient, I can look back and see God was the most present. When I've done the worst, God was working the hardest because the relationship's about him, not about me. It's all about him. Soli Deo Gloria. All for God's glory. The whole foundation of salvation through faith alone is not just a New Testament concept. It is the whole concept of the Old Testament. It's by grace. Amen? It shows us that God is faithful, not us. Now, don't misunderstand that Abraham was the father of faith, that it has something to do with him. When it says Abraham was the father of faith, what it's showing us is this story of Abraham is about God crediting righteousness, not something in Abraham that was good. Because I want to give you something. It was not even because Abraham had good faith. That's not why he's the father. Not even because he had good faith. His faith was actually pretty tainted. And matter of fact, you and I, our faith is pretty tainted. That's why we constantly need the Holy Spirit with us. See, he was pretty bad at faith, to be honest with you. After a while, uh, after God made that promise and he saw that his wife had not yet had a son, he went and committed adultery with his servant girl, thinking that maybe God, maybe when God said, I'm going to have a son, he didn't mean that my wife and I would have a son. You see, evidently God wasn't talking about my wife. He was talking about his good-looking girl that's been working the cattle. Maybe that's what God's talking about. He went and commits adultery to see if that's what, well, God, I'm just going to give it a shot. Better ask forgiveness than permission, right? Maybe he meant that a lady I was not married to will have a son. Do you see how illogical that part of the story is? How bad Abraham actually was from the get-go? This is why the story's not about Abraham. 
The story's all about God, and God made a promise, and God was faithful even when Abraham's not. Maybe God didn't mean that marriage would bring forth his covenant. Maybe he meant that I'm going to make the whole picture of the Bible that adultery will bring forth a covenant. God. So Abraham, the father of faith, is immediately seen as not having perfect faith. This is why the covenant alone rests on God's ability, not man's ability. I've got good news today. It's that your salvation rests in Christ alone. And if you're looking at something other than Christ to define your relationship with him, if you're looking at yourself, you're going to fail. What happens is we take our eyes off of Calvary. and We put them on the law. We put them on self. We put them on other people. Well, you know what? I'm not as good as... Pastor Enoch is, man, that's, he's a man of faith. I'm not as good as him, so evidently uh, I'm not there yet. My friend, you look at the cross, and here's what you realize. Praise God, I'm there. I'm right with God. And this right relationship means that now I can follow and be faithful because I've been right, right with God because of him, not because of me. Do you see how grace empowers you to live It's great. Some, some people think, well, well, if we preach grace alone, then people will fall into sin. My friend, when we try to keep the law, it leads to death. That's what it did for 2,000 years before Christ. Not 2,000 years, roughly 1,400 years. When we try to think the law makes us right with God, it leads to death. This is why the cross defines grace. There was one mount that brought death called Sinai. There was another mount that brought life called Golgotha. Golgotha brings life. Sinai, the law, brings death. Look at Calvary, not Sinai. There are many preachers that will tell you, if you slip up, you're in danger of losing your salvation. But let me mention something. Abraham slipped up. Isaac slipped up. King David slipped up. The disciple Peter slipped up. But God was faithful. Romans 4.8. He just told us a few verses earlier. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. That means right now, Christian, when you sin, God does not hold you accountable. Some of you are going to have a problem with that statement. But let me tell you what. If he did, that means he sees his sin. And that means the scripture that says he's removed them as far as the east is from the west is not true. Because I'm going to tell you what. God can do anything and he can have selective amnesia. He can no longer see your sin. Matter of fact, I preached this past Sunday that we're already seated in the spiritual realm with Christ. So from God's point of view, you're already reigning with Jesus. No longer a sinner, but a saint. Yes! We're going to have a revival for seven nights. I'm going to have every, some, someone different preach every night. And I'm going to stand up and clap. Because that's what I like to do. I mean, that, that's me. Okay. Thirdly, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. It's explaining that... This was the God in whom he believed. And what type of God is this? The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things which are not. This is not the God who makes a good thing better. 
This is not so that you can have your best life now. I'm going to tell you what, Christianity is not about having a better Friday. Christianity is about dying to your flesh so that Christ can live through you. Christianity is not about making an improved version of, what? An improved version of you. It's about making Christ radiate through you. God speaks forth into existence things that are not humanly possible. There are people who believe that there is some sort of transcendent path that we can travel on to find spiritual understanding. I was in Lake Lure for a wedding two weekends ago. My friend that I traveled to Afghanistan with, he got married. I was able to officiate his ceremony, and that day, Tyler and I grabbed lunch in Lake Lure, and I went into this store that was kind of eclectic-looking, Native American paraphernalia. Tyler was doing something I was ventured in. I see this man with a tattoo of the Trinity on his head, his bald head. I'm not judging. But then he's gotten his possession you know those Native American dream catchers? Right? Those dream catchers? That's really a demon catcher, if you believe that that accesses the supernatural. And he had the, the rosary beads, and he was grabbing all these articles, incense and, and uh, uh, gypsy music, and he was talking to the lady about what, what sort of things do they recommend that can, that can bring about enlightenment? And I'm standing. I'm looking through the feathers. Watching this man. I'm like, this man is lost. And I waited and waited and waited for him to leave the counter so I could engage him with the gospel. He literally took forever. And I was going to be late for the wedding. So I finally left, prayed for this man. But here's what my heart said. This man know that everything there could be found in the cross. That, that rightness with God is not found through a bracelet or beads or candles or incense or gypsy music or feathers or things it's found through Calvary that we are made right with God that's why it's by grace alone not beads alone not candles alone man if we came out like that since he would be making billions of dollars candles can get you close to God let's have a fundraiser that's what the church did for, for a thousand years they had a fundraiser to get people close to God and it was successful because people will do anything other than Calvary to make sure they're right with God because it's not through faith. If I say, man, you give a church $1,000, make sure you go to heaven. Brother, we build a new family life center next week because people rather trust in themselves than in faith alone. He doesn't take good clay and make it into something better. He takes dead and turns it into living. He takes nothing and turns it into something. You know that the atheists and the Christian believe the same thing about the universe that nothing turned into something? 
We just believe it wasn't an accident. That God took nothing and made something. If you're a believer today, then my friend, all the glory goes to God. You were not smart enough to find God. You did not know enough theology to find God. You were not a good enough person to find God. No, my friend, God spoke forth into the dead dark of night, which was your soul, and called forth out of that and placed a faith which could respond to him so that when we stand before God, it's not because we did something. It's because God did something, and we can say glory to God alone. Is that 8.30? Man, I'm still early. But that's all. That's it? I mean, glory to God alone. We can't approve upon it. Praise God, we'll fellowship for 15 minutes talk about how good God is. My friend, if you can walk away tonight and you can say, I'm right with God because of nothing other than his grace. It will empower you to live better tomorrow. Right believing leads to right living. When we look at the cross, when we look at Calvary.